Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 1 this morning. Joshua chapter 1. The year was 1965, and the Hobland Estate in Cornwall, England, with its enormous manor house, it was set in 3,000 acres of a lush English countryside, was set to be passed down to its rightful heir. His name was John Paget. In fact, the estate was worth $7.5 million at the time. The only problem is that John Paget never indicated to the British High Court that he wanted to accept the estate after the death of his father. About 20 years of the estate lying vacant, the official solicitor wrote this. He said, John Paget, by the stroke of a pen and by meeting some other details, can take over the property, yet I do not know his address. The mind-boggling part of the story is that Paget, who was a marine biologist and he was also a World War II veteran, he was fully aware of his inheritance. He knew what he had. He even had lived there a short time before the death of his father. Yet he opted for a low-key existence with his sister Peggy, who was living here in the States in California, and they traveled around together in an old RV. At one point, there were claims that the pair had been evicted from a trailer park because they couldn't pay the $200 rent. For 40 years, the land lay empty, an inheritance that was unclaimed for whatever reason. Potentially, it was that Paget would not sign, uh, he didn't want to pay death duties and would not sign legal documents. He just didn't want to do that. Well, he died in 2011 on June 12th. He was 85 years old. He was in a nursing home when he passed away, never having claimed that inheritance. And sadly, as of when this story was written a few years ago, the estate is now a little more than just a tumble-down ruin, encased in ivy inhabited by nothing more than rocks. Kind of a sad story, isn't it? Somebody who had this massive estate lived like a really a broke man his whole life. Think of another story I heard of of a homeless man who was supposed to be living uh, on the streets of Santa Cruz in Bolivia, and uh, the police were trying to find him. They knew he was on the streets there. He was homeless, and they were trying to find where he was because they wanted to tell him something. They wanted to tell him that he was the recipient of a $6 million inheritance. Problem was, is when he saw the police coming toward him, he took off because he thought they were going to arrest him for his alcohol and drug habits. So he disappeared without a trace, causing the Bolivian newspapers to speak of him in 2000 as a new millionaire, paradoxically not knowing his fortune. The inheritance actually came from his ex-wife. Can you believe that one? Uh, who inherited the money herself from family members, and she did not blame him for the fact that uh, he had left her several years ago and still kept that in his name, and yet he ran away from it. Now, unfortunately, many of our lives as believers are like these two stories. We live a life missing out on the incredible inheritance that God has promised to us. Now, I want to look at this here this morning because... This passage here in Joshua 1 is very much applicable to every individual believer. And I want to also challenge you this morning that even with all that God's doing in our hearts, many of you, I believe, are entering into steps of victory, but there are some in this room, no doubt, that are not. And it's a big deal. It's a big deal that we claim our inheritance this morning. In fact, Hebrews 4.1 says, Let us therefore fear, now get that word, fear, lest the promise being left of us entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. What we're going to find here in Joshua 1 is that God gives a clear challenge to Joshua, a charge to him to lead the children of Israel to claim what he had promised. 
He, in this passage, tells them to go to possess what God had promised, to depend, to to keep their eyes on God for deliverance, and then to expect to know for certain that God would be with them. So I'd like for us here to read this passage of Scripture and look at those three points this morning. Joshua chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and unto the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Let's pray, Lord, would you help me this morning? I know I need you. I need your help to articulate this truth. Lord, this is a familiar passage for most, but yet, Lord, I believe the truth is profound. And I pray that you, Spirit of God, would, uh, would enable me to be able to articulate what you once said. Help me not to say anything I shouldn't, but may all that's said this morning be that which would help each one of us here today to take important steps forward in embracing what you've given to us. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would, again, be the one that's completely in charge of what happens now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The first thing we find here in this passage is the command or the charge to go, to possess what God has promised for you. We find this here in the first five verses. And you need to realize the position that you have. The first two verses clearly articulate that. Here um, it says, now after the death of Moses we find the Lord's saying something very clearly to Joshua. What's he saying? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people unto the land which I do give them. All right, what is this victory, this this charge he's giving to them to go into something that he had promised? Well, if you know the story, I think most of you know it well, uh, but he's telling them to go into a land that he had promised them for a long time. Remember, all the way back in Exodus chapter 12, when he had that moment when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, and that was the Passover moment when he protected the firstborn there in Israel, getting them ready, or the the Israelites, getting them ready there in Egypt to head toward the promised land. And he told them, now you'll be doing this, celebrating this each year, remembering this moment, and especially in the land that I give you. So this goes way back. And then, we of course know the 40 years before this moment, it was right there. In fact, in Deuteronomy 1, as it's looking back, as Moses is looking back upon what had happened to the children of Israel, we find them, him articulating when God told them to leave Mount Horeb. And I want you to hear what he said, what the Lord said to them in, in, in Deuteronomy 1.8. It says, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. So 
If you think about the story, God told them, go. I have set before you the land. It's yours. Go and possess it. And then at that moment at Kadesh Barnea, in Deuteronomy 121, it says, Behold, the Lord thy God hath set the land before thee. Go up and possess it, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath said unto thee. Fear not, neither be discouraged. What happened? Did they obey this command? Did they go? Did they? 40 years before? No. Why? Well, they sent in the 12 spies. The 12 spies come back with a report. The giants are too big. It's, it's going to be an impossibility. The cities are walled. We cannot go up against this land. Yes, it is a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Yes, it's a phenomenal place, but there's no way that we can make it when God had just told them to go up and possess it. What a tragedy. Now, it's easy for us to say, uh, bummer, missed opportunity, right? Too bad. It's a little bit more than that, isn't it? In fact, would you turn with me over, if you can keep your finger here and turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 3, a parallel passage here. Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to talk about in a few minutes what the whole concept of going into the promised land, the land of rest means. But Hebrews chapter 3, we find a very clear admonition it says, as the Holy Ghost saith. This is something we find even back in Psalm 95 and the warning again, I believe, in Isaiah, where the Lord says, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And then there's an admonition that says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then you see the importance of exhorting one another, another daily so that you don't fall in that same trap and you're not hardened in, in your heart with unbelief. An entire generation lost, literally, dead, none of them experiencing the victory because of their unbelief. So is this a big deal or not? It's a big deal. And he's admonishing now Joshua, unfortunately, the failure of the generation before, but he's admonishing him, now go. Now, by the way, let me encourage you with this. No matter what your past, no matter what generation's gone before you, you can be like Joshua and enter in. All right? Sometimes there's a danger of looking at people that have a heritage of godly parents and godly grandparents and even beyond that, and you say, wow, if I just had that, all that I could have had, and... Uh, Okay, yes, it's a wonderful blessing, and we're not to take it lightly if we've experienced it, but let me just challenge you with something. No matter what your past is, and no matter even what the situation may be with your parents, maybe your parents currently are struggling spiritually. Maybe there's a lack of life in your own home setting, and, there's, and, and you have been growing spiritually, and you're wanting to move forward, but you feel like you can't because it's just, just not possible. Well, let me just tell you, they could have looked at that past generation who had died and said, well, it's going to be us too. No, no. God says, go, Moses is dead, Joshua, go over this Jordan, thou and all the people into the land which I do give to them. Remember, the promise had been given. All they need to do was accept it, go and obey, and the Lord was going to bless. So what is our story? Their story is they were told to go. Go. The victory is right before you. Go over this Jordan. I've got it for you. Well, our story is the fact that God's promise rest to the people of God, Hebrews 4 let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And then it says in verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. What is this rest? 
The rest that this passage is talking about in the context is really what you've heard of called the victorious Christian life. It's a day-by-day victory, enjoying the presence of God, enjoying the fullness of the Holy Spirit and his working in your life. Let me ask you today, are you enjoying that? Now, don't, don't, don't lie to yourself. I know how it is that we can, I did it, I would rationalize. I would say, oh, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, I'm feeling all right. Yeah, I knew that there was nagging sin issues in my life I still would not deal with. There were some other issues in my life of unbelief where I just was not stepping forward by faith and trusting the Lord. There were just certain areas I was holding back on. I wanted to feel pretty good because, honestly, I, I looked all right. I had a good heart, really, but there wasn't a freedom. And you, you can tell, even in a setting like this, the students that are enjoying the rest and those who aren't. I can tell. I'm not perfect at telling that. But I can tell with you, most of you, if you're free or if you're not. And it's because you've made a decision. You either have made a decision to hold on in unbelief. It may be a sin issue. You know, it may be a returning student. You fellows had, and ladies had a wonderful opportunity for a few days after graduation to be challenged and encouraged. Did, did you respond? Or were you afraid to really deal with the issues in your life? Because if you didn't fully let God deal with you, then guess what? You're playing games. And in fact, it's a dangerous game. It's a deadly game. But it's more than just maybe a sin issue that might be there. It could be just areas of, of your life that you are not free to, uh, to let the Lord deal in because you're, you're just not believing that God can really use you. There's a lot of insecurity in, the, in this room because of past wounds. Are you allowing God to make you secure in Christ or are you just thinking that, you know, my character is just too much. I, can't, I just can't have the victory. There's, I don't know what the unbelief issue is, but some of you right now are not in that land of rest. You're not enjoying the presence of God because of unbelief. So God's promised us rest. He's given us victory. We know these verses, 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 says we're more than conquerors. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says he always causes us, causeth us to triumph in Christ. Romans 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed or rendered ineffective, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Your position in Christ this morning is that you are dead to sin and you're alive to God. And so the fact is, you have a, posi- a position. And that position is, you are, all you have to do is just walk into the victory. You are in Christ. You have everything that you need. And so because of that, we have to set aside our excuses. You'll notice here, he kind of, as the Lord is talking here to Moses, or excuse me, to Joshua, he's kind of knocking out some crutches of excuses that Joshua could give. How about the excuse of, timing. You know, it's, I don't know if we can do this yet. We're not ready. Um, the idea of I'm still not ready, I still feel weak. Well, the Bible says we're dead indeed unto sin. All the previous generation in Moses are a picture of unbelief and disobedience and from being able to go in, and they were prevented from it because of that. And so here they are, God says go, and they say, well, I don't know, we're not, we can't, you know, face that. By the way, I've said this before in other preaching occasions, um, the whole idea of the fact that the enemy as Rahab articulated in, in uh, Joshua 2, was scared to death of the Israelites? Think about that. The enemy was scared to death of them, and they were scared to death of the enemy. Let me ask you a question this morning. Who is your God? All right? I mean, seriously, how are you living today? Are you living literally as if 
The enemy is greater and there's no way the strongholds in your life can be broken. It's impossible. And you're going to keep putting the facade on. You're going to keep trying to have that, that cloak, as Dr. Jim talks about. And you're just going to try to cover it. And yet, you know, it's just there's no way. And yet, I got a question for you this morning. Who's your God? The fact is, is God was speaking here very clearly. He says, go. Go into the land that I've given you. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that, that I have given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Some of you, it may be, yes, I, I believe God's big enough, and I believe, yeah, I need to take steps of faith, but I don't think I can have victory in all areas of my life. You just don't know me, Pastor Van. My character stinks. All through high school, I didn't get my assignments done on time. I struggled in school. Or it, may, it might be certain areas of sinful habits that you've had that you've given into, and maybe you've, you have more victory, but yet you just don't think that you're going to have that kind of consistent victory. What was the promise that God gave to Moses? Every place, not just some of the places, every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you. And then he said, look, you're going to face opposition. Verse 5 says, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee. So there was going to be clearly opposition, but he said, they're not going to be able to stand before thee. You're going to win. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. So we don't have to, to fear. Just like the spies, unfortunately, 10 out of the, out of the 12 said opposition is too great. I think many of us look at our Christian life and we look at what's ahead of us. And I don't know about you, but I'm a little bit sobered by my future here in this country. Are you? Okay, I, don't, I don't care who wins the election. My, my future, my next 30 years or 40 years or however many the Lord gives me, it's going to look a lot different than pastors last 30 or 40 years. Okay? And, and he's seen the country change immensely during that time. But I can't imagine. I would never dream a year ago that we would be talking about the things that we are today. I would never. I don't think any of you would have either. And I look at my children and I think, wow. And it's easy to fear what we might face here or other things that uh, are, are before us. But the fact is we have to set aside all, all excuses. By the way. I always get sad whenever I hear somebody say, I'm, I'm just not ready to take a step of faith in this area. I just feel too weak. Well, that's actually, you're right at that point of huh, having success, right? Because when you're weak, he's strong. And you can have victory in every aspect. So how do you, you know, is, is some of you, this may seem a little bit above your head. Okay, victory, um, you know, that land of rest, encouragement, good. How do, I, how do I experience it? Well, let's look at verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. Now, I believe here this is the idea of we just need to, in the point once I go, and this is a sub-point, but the idea is just start walking. Just take a step of faith. For some of you, you need to confess some sin this morning. Take that step of faith. For some of you, you have an unbelief point in your heart or you're struggling with an uh, attitude towards somebody else. Take a step of faith this morning. Some of you, God's got your call, his, his hand on your life. And he's a guy, actually a specific call that you've been tender about before, but today you're callous toward. Start walking. All right. Wearsby says uh, in, a, in his commentary on this, he says, since Joshua had a threefold task to perform, God gave him three special promises, one for each task. God would enable Joshua to cross the river and claim the land. The verses I just read, defeat the enemy, verse 5, and then to apportion the land to each tribe as its inheritance. Now, God did not give Joshua explanations as to how he would accomplish these things. Do you find here in Joshua chapter 1, God telling 
Joshua how he would do Jericho? How do you think Joshua would have felt if God told him in that chapter? Now, you're going to do these, now you're going to go possess the land. I'm going to have you first go to this city, and you're going to walk around it a few times. And, uh, and then something great's going to happen. Lord, really? Um, God doesn't give the explanations as to how he would accomplish these things because God's people live on promises and not on explanations. When you trust God's promises and step out by faith, you can be sure that the Lord will give you the directions you need when you need them. Got that? Okay, some of you are getting a little sleepy on me this morning, so maybe this will be your cue to make sure you're listening, okay? Let, 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 let me encourage you at this point. You take that step. You may not know what the next step is, but you obey God. And then the next step. And then God begins to unfold his will for you. And then you get to that Jericho moment. He says specifically, walk around the walls. Okay, Lord. What, what, why didn't you say, Lord? You know, walk around the walls a few times. I, just, I always love that story because I just imagine the children of Israel feeling so foolish. At first, maybe it was kind of cool, but then they're getting mocked and mocked and mocked and mocked and mocked. It had to get a little old from the standpoint if they were in any unbelief at all. If anybody was just there for the ride, was struggling, I'm sure it was something else. But here we are very much seeing God giving a promise. I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to get every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon. So start walking. Start walking. Step into impossibilities. What was the first impossibility that they were going to face? Pretty quickly here. Jordan River, complete impossibility. Don't fall short of God's will. Did you know it's possible for you to, according to Hebrews 4, to fall short of what God wants for you? Right now, some of you are on a path to crash and burn with the will of God. You're in a wonderful place like BCM. You're being challenged. You've heard the heart of, of the Lord starting right from the beginning of the year till now through preaching and through loving teachers and people who are trying to help you. And right now you're refusing in your heart to fully embrace what God's doing. You're in trouble. Because if you cannot in this wonderful greenhouse environment accept the reality of what God is doing in your life and you're not making steps of faith, then you're going to come short of what God has for you. And come short is not just, oh, I missed a little bit. It's death and it's devastating. Now, I want you to think about this. What if the Lord said, now, I want you to go, and every place the sole of your feet shall tread upon you're going to have. And what if they said, Lord, that's wonderful. Thank you for that challenge, Lord. Now, um, the Jordan River's here, and that looks pretty hard. So we're going to really take some time and pray about this. Now, by the way, prayer, I'm not minimizing prayer in this whole thing. We'll talk about that. But we're going to keep praying. We believe you can conquer these things, Lord. We believe you can do it, but... They didn't take any steps toward the Jordan River. Is that faith? We do that so many times. God doesn't operate by passivity. He operates by his children being active in obedience. God says, do it, you obey. Some of us struggle with passivity maybe because we weren't used to having to actually fall through and obey our parents. I'm finding this to be an issue for me with my children um, so, some of you who are the oldest children in the family know how much stricter your parents might have been with you than with your younger siblings. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I used to say it to, to my parents all the time. I'm not going to tell you which siblings I'm talking about, but uh, you know who they are. I would say, you, I got dealt with for that. Why aren't they getting dealt with for that, you know? I thought I would never do that. Oh, man, I'm finding I'm doing it all the time. And uh, I have a child who's, well, my three-year-old. I'll just put it out there. Uh, he, um, he's gotten away with way too much. Lazy parenting on my part, you know? 
It's the several times instruction instead of the first time when they say no. You know, my oldest children are like, well, what in the world? We, man, boom, it was, it was no toleration, you know? <laughs> um, so, you know what, honestly, there's times that I can see a lot of passivity about my commands. And uh, I'm working on it. My wife is working on it. Together, we're working on it. it it's, it's a bit of a challenge with eight children, but it's not an impossibility for us. But I'm going to tell you what, my child suffers when he is used to being passive and disobedient. He's just kind of like, okay, whatever, instead of making an active step. Any of my children. In fact, is, is uh, God's told you young people to do certain things in the last week, and you've said no to the Holy Spirit. That's really disobedience. Or maybe that, oh, yeah, that's really good, Lord, but you're not taking any steps, and you're just in a passive frame of mind. Can I just say it like this? Here's just a practical illustration that kind of is on my, on my mind since I've been living here the last seven, eight months in, in this. But, you know, um, last year um, I was not in the greatest of health, just not feeling the greatest, and my wife was gently talking to me about losing weight. And, you know, and I said, yeah, that's good. You know, I didn't do anything about it. Um, still kept eating and eating and enjoying it. And um, it just, the weight, you know, was there. And, and the only reason I say this is I remember in January um, just a few stories I heard about some other folks having struggles and even physical things. And just it hit, it hit me. I'm a young man. I don't need to mess around with this. And this is not, I'm not trying to compare this to, you know, it is a spiritual matter. It was for me, at least. I'm not trying to compare it to this, but just talk about passivity. It kept saying, oh, I'll, I'll do it sometime. I'll do it sometime. I never bothered weighing myself. Didn't even bother. I just didn't want the whole thing. And then finally, the Lord just did something. It's a miracle. I don't know. Must be enough people praying for me or something. And uh, it, was the, it was the week of the, it was a spiritual awakening conference. It wasn't during that week that God necessarily dealt with me on that specifically. But then I just told my wife, okay, January 12th, I'm starting, period. So it was that Sunday. The day before was the father, the men and boys breakfast. I made sure I had a good one. And, uh, and uh, so, um, so anyway, I so said, I'm starting on, on this day. You know what? I had to take an active step to change my diet. I couldn't pa- passively say, I hope it gets better. And so after that, it just was step by step. The Lord even let me get sick for a couple of weeks. You went with the flu. That was a fast weight loss program. That was great. And, uh, and then I just continued going on from there. But it was decision after decision. You know, it still is for me a daily decision to say no to self. And, you know, I'm not commending myself at all. Because honestly, I was not that way at all before that. Mercy of God. But there is far more important, even though that is important to take care of yourself, there's far more important steps that you all need to take spiritually, that right now you're just really not taking. You're not that concerned maybe about your own spiritual growth and your own walk with God. Like, you know what's required of you, but there isn't a, a passion to really maybe grow like there ought to be because you're kind of just, you're just riding along the, the wave of what's going on at BCM. You're just kind of comfortable yourself instead of taking steps of faith. How about consistent victory over sin? Have you taken, as I mentioned already, that step to confess whatever's on your heart? I'm not naive because I was one of you. There are some of you out here who still have things you have not cleared up. Okay, I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. Some of you are introspective. If you've dealt with it, praise God. Don't, don't live in the past. But some of you have not. I just know how it goes. Or maybe you have, but you're not willing to humble yourself and actually be accountable in whatever you're struggling with. All of us immediately go to the purity issue, and that's a big one. That's a huge one. But there's more than that. Did you know that? There, 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 there's more vices in, it, in our lives and things that can grip us. 
and we're passive about it. We're not taking steps to go forward. How about your prayer life? Are you taking steps to make it happen? Are you changing your schedule? Are you doing what you need to do? Lasting fruit. Are you passionate to see your life count? You know, some of you actually, you know, pretty talented, got together, but where is the fruit? I only say that to say this. Um, are you taking active steps to and pleading with God for a disciple? I've always loved testimonies where I hear somebody get up and say, you know, I'm just begging God, God, I've been dry, and I need you, and God answered prayer. Oh, wow. Isn't that amazing how that works? But you took a step of faith, and then you went out and souling, and you got involved in lives. It was steps of obedience. You moved forward in faith. It wasn't a passivity hoping God would do something. Some of you struggle in relationships, maybe in the school, maybe with an authority or with each other. Maybe at home with parents, you still have maybe some bitterness or some hurt. Have you taken steps to deal with that? See, you're never going to go into the land of victory and promise and live in that continually if you find yourself held back because you're not taking the step to trust the Lord. It's very dangerous, let me just say this, it's very dangerous to live by sight. You know, it's a lot of times we say it's got to make sense, it's got to be tangible before I actually believe it. That's very dangerous. In fact, it's deadly. Okay? Now, Keep walking is the idea of every place, city to city. Think about Jericho and um, all the kings that gathered against Israel, all these different stories and where God just kept working. By the way, the Christian life is not an easy one. It's glorious. There is rest in that because you're resting in the Lord and you're, you're enjoying him and his strength. But I'm telling you, battle after battle after battle. But guess what? When you're on God's side and you're, and you're walking in his spirit's power, you win. In fact, I love the vision of Joshua, even as an older man. Uh, Joshua, in fact, you can just turn over to Joshua 13 quickly here. Joshua chapter 13, verse 1, says, Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, I always enjoy this verse, Thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. All right? Let me just say this. If you don't have a vision for your life now, and you don't believe God has much to do in your life, where are you going to be when you're 60 and 70? Don't just expect that God's just going to all of a sudden just burn a fire in you and a passion in you. Get it now when you're young. All right? Then the next chapter, I love Caleb. He was passionate as he was a young man. He was passionate as an older man. And I won't read the whole section, but you know there in verse 6 where the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Caleb. Um, Caleb said, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee and Kadesh Barnea. He talked about how he had the faith to go into that. And then he says in verse 11, as yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. Wow. I love that. That's really why I named my son Caleb and I put the middle name Wayne. I feel like those two go, go, go together with pastor's testimony, what he's been to us. But it says, yet I am strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war both to go out and to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. Wow. Caleb, a man of faith, years and years before, he had, he had stepped out, even when everybody else said it's not possible to be done. He was courageous, and now look at him as an older man, courageous again, ready to step out by faith. Are you actively right now pursuing that next step, the next step in your life that God wants? I'm not talking about just a big life change or a big thing. I'm talking about that small step even today that may not seem that significant. Is that a big deal to you? You're developing patterns of faith-filled living. So now they just need to step out by faith and take it. Don't be thrown by the opposition, verse 5 says. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. You know what? Whenever, whenever God allows a trial, whenever God allows difficulty, 
the Bible says don't be surprised by it. Understand that I'm here to mature you, to deepen you. I'm here to deliver you. Faithful is he that called you who also will do it. I don't want our college graduates to be known as guys who pastor a little bit somewhere, gets tough, and go somewhere else, and then go somewhere else. Now, God calls people different places. It's not, it's not always that you'll have a pastor or a place for 30-something years. They're, the will of God looks different for everybody, but let me say this, that many times guys leave, and they leave quickly because they get faint-hearted. They quit. Ladies? Right now, if you don't learn to take steps of faith and obey God and see through the tough classes and, and instead of complaining, just go all in, if you don't learn to do that, you're going to pull your husband maybe out of what he should be in, in the ministry because you just you can't handle the, the challenge of it. I, see, I know a lot of pastors' wives who have just really hurt their husband's ministry. Missionaries' wives who couldn't handle the field, the challenge of the, of the field. It starts with right now. God, you've called me to this. I'm going to step forward by faith and embrace what you've given to me because I want to experience your full victory. God's deliverance brings him greater glory. The opposition that you face when you keep looking to heaven, when God wins the victory, what a glory he gets out of that. Now, we're going to look quickly at these last two points here, major points. First, we looked at go. The second important thing to understand is the importance of depending. Depend. Keep your eyes on God for deliverance. The next few verses here, verses 6 through 9, talk about this. Uh, be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6 says, and in the power of his might. That's really a parallel to this. We're to trust the promises of God for full deliverance. Verse 6, he says, be strong and of a good courage. And they said, I'm going to divide this inheritance because I swore it unto your, swear unto your fathers to give it to them. God had said, I'm going to give it to you by my word. I said I'm going to do it. God's promises are sure. Let me just tell you this. If God calls you somewhere... If God is working in your heart and just a simple step of obedience that you need to take, every time he calls you to do something, he always comes through on his word. Always. God tells you to give. He's going to give back to you. God tells you to take this step and to get this sin right. He will give you the cleansing. He will give you the joy. Everything he's promised, he's going to give you. He's going to give you peace if you don't have peace when you look to him. Romans 4 says, Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith giving glory to God, and I love this next part, and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. That ought to just strengthen your confidence right there to take a step of faith because God's not going to let you down. You know, I've had times when I've actually struggled and even told the Lord, I don't, I don't know, is, that, is, is your word really true? I struggle. What a fool I was. God has always come through. And then you need to know God's word to obtain guidance for each step. You know, as I talk about this, I'm talking about You've got to know the word. In fact, he talks about that very much. Only be thou strong and courageous, verse 7. Thou, thou, thou mayest observe and do according to all the law. And then verse 8, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. The, the word of God, Psalm 119, talks about how it gives us direction. So many times we feel like we're, we're in that dark cave um, and they turn out the lights. Let's, let's just say you go in there, it's dark, can't see anything, and all of a sudden you didn't know there was electricity in there or you, or you didn't know somebody had a lamp and that light turns on, it changes everything. That's exactly how God's word is for us. It's our lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It also purifies us too. It gives us the right motives. And it gives us full victory. In fact, it says here, true success is given to those who know the word of God, who love the word of God, and obey the word of God. Observe to do according to all that is written therein. Now, when you have true success, it's not about you being something. 
It's about God being glorified. You say, yeah, that's right, Pastor Van. Yeah, I got that. Do you? Especially when you get in ministry and it seems like you're not successful because you're having to take a stand and obey God. That's a moment of pause for a lot of us. Some of you guys who kind of want to be cool right right now and be accepted, you're in trouble. Because who ultimately is getting the attention? Well, it's you. And ultimately, it's not going to be God getting glorified and you're going to find yourself changing what you believe. Why? Because it's all you want to be accepted. But here, we find our confidence is to do all that is written therein, to obey God in every way. And then God says, then I'm going to make the way prosperous. And then you're going to have good success. And ultimately, even if you don't seem to be fully successful now, what God does through your life is going to bring him glory. Think with me about somebody. How about Stephen? Does Stephen seem like a man who really ended with this just phenomenal ministry opportunity and great you know, success? Did he? Humanly speaking, was he a success or a failure? Just purely at the result. He was a failure, right? He got stoned. I'll tell you what, Stephen was a man with great success. First of all, when Jesus is standing there, that's pretty special. He's successful in the eyes of his Savior, but not only that, he impacted Paul. And the known world was impacted by him. You might say, now we, we can look back, but at that moment, you might have looked at Stephen and said, why? Oh, man, that's terrible. And yet, God was greatly glorified. So, we can, if we depend upon God, depend upon his, his word, then the third thing is, is we can expect that his presence is going to be with us. How much do you value the presence of God? Verse 5 says, I will be with thee, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Verse 9, be not thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. God's presence is a protection against fear and discouragement. God's presence is with those who, with those who walk by faith. God's not automatically, he lives inside of you, but you're not going to experience his presence and the joy of that unless you're walking by faith, and he'll never let you down. You know the story so well, but Daniel and his three friends, who showed up in the fire? It's Jesus. Sometimes the greatest moments when we experience his presence is when it seems like life's just going to absolutely be, because of our step of faith and obedience, it's going to be gone, and yet Jesus is there. He says in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So let me just ask you this morning, are you enjoying that rest? Are you genuinely able to say, yes, I am experiencing the fullness of the life of Christ? Or is there a little check in your spirit? There may be a couple of students here that are actually just struggling being here. You're just struggling with BCM, not necessarily the school itself, but you're just not happy. You're not living in rest. You're not, you're not enjoying what God has for you. And your future is important. And you don't have them yet, but your children's future is important. The decisions you make right now greatly affect the next gen gen generation. If you can learn right now to... Face the hard things and by faith see breakthrough because you're, just, you're, you're looking to God and you're willing to deal with pride and you're willing to be corrected and you're willing to deal with self. And you say, God, whatever it takes, I want to be in, that, in the, the daily victory walk that you've promised me. If that's who you are, then you're going to leave a legacy to the next gen generation to follow. But if you're like the, the ten spies who said, oh, I can't do that. I, I want success, but not the way that God has. Well, you're going to be a failure. That's not what God wants. He wants you to go and, as verse 3 says, every place he wants to give you. Every place. Every place. Let's go ahead and bow our heads in prayer.
getting uh, into the fourth full week here of the school year. Even as evidenced by the testimonies yesterday, there's a lot of you that are at least encouraged. Maybe you know there's some things that God dealt with you about this morning, but you're encouraged. You're endeavoring to walk with the Lord. You've taken steps of faith, and that's good. Still doesn't mean God didn't point something out to you, but you're endeavoring to walk by faith. But there may be some of you this morning that cannot genuinely say you're free. You're encouraged in Christ. You're just kind of enduring. You're here because you just kind of are. I don't think there's that many like that. I don't really know, but maybe this morning God opened your eyes and any of your eyes really toward maybe areas that you're not taking steps of faith. You haven't really fully gotten free with the Lord. Or it might be that, yes, you've dealt with sin the best you know how, but there's still, still not an active obedience, a stepping by faith, out by faith every day to trust the Lord, to walk with Him, to make Him everything. And I don't know how God dealt in your heart this morning, but I think it's critical that we understand the Kadesh Barnea moment and the tragedy of that 40 years before, an entire generation lost, and then what the difference of what the book of Joshua gives and the victory that God gave. So maybe God's dealt with you in a certain way this morning. It could be several different ways. I don't know. There's different ways it was applied. But you say, Pastor Van, God is working in my heart, and I just want to let you know that here this morning, and please pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Say, God definitely spoke to me in some area, and I want to want to make that clear. Okay, good. Sit down. Let me just encourage you with this, young person. You know, it's easy for me to even still do this now. We have to, every time we come to a service, to make sure that we're honest with the Lord. But whenever uh, even an invitation time comes and we just kind of push off how God may have dealt in our hearts, let me encourage you, that's a very dangerous thing to do. And I have a sense that God is probably working a little bit more than maybe, not even necessarily the amount of hands, that's not my point, but there may be still somebody here this morning saying, you know, Pastor Van, God actually did work in my heart and I should have admitted it the first time. I'm just burdened that I don't go out of this time without at least letting God begin to open my heart to him and to give him a real chance to see me through. Is there anybody else that say, you know what, God did work in my heart and I want to make that clear this morning. Okay, thank you, thank you. All right, do you still have the joy about the call that God's put on your heart in the past? Is that, is that still real to you? Are you still moving forward with what he's wanting you to claim? Lord, I pray that you'd help these young people to deal with whatever it is in their life they need to today and just to understand the glory of walking with you and just, just the joy of all that you've given to, to them. Thank you for their heart. pray that you would just give a real uh, spiritual passion this week to walk with you. I pray for those in the prayer class, the freshmen, that they would understand that wonderful unit that they can have with you in prayer and to, to experience the glory of the victory that you've given to them. I pray that you would open their eyes to truth. Lord, I, I would hate for any freshman to go through this week and just be completely um, clued out to the glory of what they have. So I pray you'd work in their lives. I pray for the rest of the students. Lord, would you help there not to be one casualty in, in this group because of a lack of faith, because of unbelief about their own lives, because of something that's holding them back. And God, may we all be free. May you so deeply work in our lives in these days ahead that we would not even look the same in you know, in weeks from now. Why? Because you have transformed us. You're changing us, and we're experiencing great victory because of what you've already given to us and what we're accessing. So bless these young people. Strengthen them now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.